How y'all doing this morning? Y'all sure? I'm always scared I'm going to knock that music stand over, so we just move it and get it out of the way. This past um, week, I was teaching at the school one day, and um, it was in my third hour class. I have about 25 students in that class, and you know, and we was going through our regular drafting stuff. I'm trying to, to teach them drafting, and, and some of them are getting it, some of them aren't, but they're, they're getting there slow. But one of, the, one of the students in there said, um, and I think about they're all confused on what they call me. Some of them will call me Mr. Morgan. Some of them will call me Mr. Johnny. Some of them will call me Brother Johnny. Some of them will call me Mr. Brother Johnny. Some of them will call me Mr. Brother Morgan. So anyway, they're, they're all confused as to what they call me. But anyway, one of them said, um, so, Mr. Morgan, can I ask you a question, but it has nothing to do with drafting? I said, I guess. Go ahead and ask. I said, um, all I do is tell you no. And he said, why are you always so happy? He said, why are you always so jolly? He said, we never see you rattled in this class. We never see you mad in this class. You don't ever lose your temper with us when I know you want to. You're just always happy. You're different than a lot of the teachers. And so, you know, at that point, I'm standing there in front of 25 of them, and I said, they asked, so that's my door to run through. I says, because I, the boss I serve gives me, makes me happy. And one of them said, Miss Jones makes you happy? And I said, Miss Jones does make me happy, but I serve a bigger boss. I serve a God that gives me a joy from inside and makes me happy. I said, whenever he wakes me up in the morning... It's an exciting day for me because that means he's got something for me to do. But I said, if he don't wake me up and if I'm not standing in front of you, then that means I'm in a better place and it's a better day for me. But I said, so that's what makes me happy is because I focus on God and what he has for me that day. And so they was nodding their heads. I think half of them understood. Half of them still had no clue what I was talking about. But that was probably on, uh, on Monday well, then that Wednesday, whenever I was back, a student come in my classroom. That's, um, he's one of my students. And he looked at me and he said, um, do we have a few minutes we can talk? I said, sure. He said, what you was talking about the other day? He said, I've been thinking about it. And he said, I want what you have. What do I need to do to get that? And I said, well, the first question I'm going to ask you is who's your Lord and Savior? And uh, he said, Nobody. So I sat down with him, whipped my Bible out because I keep it in my computer bag, and I started sharing with him straight out of the Bible what God says about it. And before it was over with, he prayed and accepted Christ. And as we started talking more, I got on the phone when I walked out of that school and called the church he goes to. He's a real good friend of mine's church. And I said, you need to follow up with this kid. And so um, this morning, he's getting baptized in their worship service. And so, but it, it goes back to, you know, for the last 10 months, you've been hearing us talk about raising a bar. Well, that's what it's about. It's about raising a bar so that people see God in us all the time. You know, and, and you never know what, what sparked that one kid's interest to know what made me different changed another kid's life for eternity. And so because of that, you know, um, things are different. Even in that class, you know, every time I stand in front of them, they're hearing God, whether they hear it verbally or not. They're hearing and they're seeing God. You know, this morning in 1030 worship, if you look under that thing, we've got water in that baptistry. We're baptizing Hunter Ballard this morning in the 1030 service. And Hunter's a direct result of discipleship 
He started coming. He comes to the college grow group that meets at my house in the evenings, and he's heard us talk about what it means to be a believer. So in 1030, this service, um, last Sunday night after we got through and all the rest of them had left, he said, started asking me questions. And so we're going to baptize him this morning. You know, so we're raising the bar. You know, and that's what it's about. It's about raising the bar. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. And that's where we're going to start. Last week, if you was here, you heard Brother Howard make a couple of statements. One of them, he said, if you, you have faith, you just have to use it. And the other one, he said, he said lots, but these are the two that jumped at me. He said, um, he simply invites us to follow him with the faith that we already have. And that's what we're going to break down a little bit more today. You know, if you was here three or four weeks ago, the last time I had a chance to speak, you know, I talked about how Elijah, God restored Elijah's faith whenever he allowed him to see that boy brought back to life, the widow's son, and he restored him to get him ready for what we're talking about today. You know, and, and so as we start talking about it, you know, today, this is the two words I want you to remember. It's time. That's all you need to remember. It's time. It's time that we raise the bar. It's time that we stand up for God. And it's time that we start living our faith. Because I'm going to tell you, if you read, I don't read the paper. I don't. I never read the paper. But Wednesday, we was getting ready to do the cupcake devotion. And I was standing there where the teacher set up on the stage at the high school. And there was a newspaper. And the, the headline caught my attention. And I had to pick it up. And whenever I looked at it, I think it was Monday night or early Tuesday, there was five shootings in two hours in Baton Rouge. Five shootings in two. I can't never remember that happening before. Five shootings in two hours. At this same time, last Sunday in Nashville, Tennessee, there was a gunman that walked into a church service and killed one person and sent six more to the hospital during church. During church. So it's time to raise the bar. You know, when we start looking at the things that's going on, I can tell you, just last week, there was two students that was, one was suspended, one was expelled for, for fighting at the high school last week. You know, that's insanity. But you know what? If they don't see a difference, if people don't see a difference in us, that insanity is going to get worse, and the world's going to get worse. And so that's what we're going to talk about in 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, we'll start in verse 20. It says, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. He says, Go get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose the one for themselves and let them cut him into pieces and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call down on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people said, what you say is good. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull give, given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. 
So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until blood flowed. And at midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time before evening, before the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And when the stones, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench, and around it large enough to hold two seeds of um, seed. And he arranged the wood, and cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering, and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar, and even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all the things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you are the Lord, our God, and that you are um, turning the hearts back again. And then the fire fell from of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and even lo also looked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down into Kishon Valley, and he slaughtered them there. Let's pray. Father, we just asked this morning, Father, even like the song that we sang just a few minutes ago, Father, rain down on us, Father. Let us see you this morning. Father, let us experience you. And Father, let us know that it's time. Father, it's time for us to stand for you. Father, just how Elijah stood. Father, so that the people of Watson and Denham and Walker and Central and Baton Rouge, Father, see you in us. Father, and they come to know you. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. You know, when you start looking at this scripture, you know, there, there's something that you need to know real quick. There's, there's power in being on your knees. There's power in being on your knees. Elijah, if you go back and really study, study Elijah, Elijah was known as the praying prophet. He was known for his prayers. And so there's power in being on your knees. And so before we start anything, you have to start on your knees. You have to be willing to get on your knees and pray for this community. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. But you have to be willing to get that way and start experiencing it. You know, and, and when you start looking at Elijah, you know, Elijah was a man, he was set apart. He was set apart. Elijah wasn't self-seeking. It wasn't about what the name he was going to make for himself. It's not that people was going to remember him and be talking about him even today. Elijah was seeking God. And he wanted God to be out front. He wanted God to be known. And he wanted the people around to know who God was. And so Elijah prayed and Elijah put himself out there for God. You know, can you imagine, can you imagine having to walk out in front of 450 people that's coming against you and then a whole nation around watching and you walk out by yourself and said, I'm the only one representing this team. 
I'm it. I'm the only one representing this team. There's 450 of you and one of me. But Elijah knew who his God was, and he trusted, and he had faith. And just like David did with Goliath, he claimed the victory before he ever walked out. He knew the battle was won. He knew what was going to happen, but he was being faithful. And he wanted the people in front of him to see that. And that's just what we saw, you know. Whenever you start looking, you know, there was, uh, there was power in that encounter, you know. Whenever he, he started calling, he says, look, you pick. You bring your bull forward. You pick the bull you want. You pick the wood you want. You build the altar the way you want it. You do everything but light the fire. And then you start praying. You know, what, what do you think? You know, I would have liked to have been there to see that. There's a few things when you go back through the Bible that if Johnny Morgan could be there to witness, I'd love to have been sitting on the sidelines cheering for Elijah, saying, go get it. You know, let's watch this happen. You know, but, but what, you know, he makes one statement whenever he first starts, you know, whenever he first starts. And he basically, you know, what he says, he says, how long will you waver between serving God and serving other things? So let's bring this into 2017. What are the other things? You know, back then they were serving a God named Baal. But let's bring it today. What are we serving? Are we serving a God called money? Are we serving a God called career? Are we serving a God called family? Are we serving a God called sports? You know, are we serving a God called car? A God called truck? A God called golf? Not hunting. We're going to throw duck hunting out there. But, you know, start when you start breaking it down, you know, it's easy in our minds to say, well, I would never serve Baal. But then when you start looking at these other things that we start putting in front of God, you know, what's he tell us? He wants us to love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. You know, he tells us that we can't serve two masters. So anything we start putting in front of him, that becomes our bail. And that's what Elijah's telling him. He says, you can't waver. It's time. It's time for you to stand. It's time for you to say, I'm going to serve God. Or it's time for you to stand and say, I'm going to serve the other things. And that's where he put it out there for him. I mean, you couldn't have been more black and white. He couldn't have been any more crystal clear in what was about to happen right there. You know, Elijah's telling us, he says, I'm serving God. I'm the only prophet left. I'm the only one left right now that's going to tell you about who God is. And not only am I going to tell you who God is, I'm going to let him prove to you who he is so that you know it for yourself. And so he lets them pick, and he lets them start getting their bull ready, you know. And then, you know, I, I have to say, I probably have a little Elijah in me because I could be one of these guys that could taunt somebody real easy. You know, and so all of a sudden they've got their, their bull prepared. They've got their bull on the altar, and then they're dancing around them, and they're singing, they're calling name Baal. Nothing's happening. And I just got a big picture in my mind. Elijah's just standing back. He's leaning on this rock thinking, how long am I going to let him go? You know, and he lets him go, and he lets him go. And then what's he do? Then he starts taunting them. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's got his mind on something else. You need to scream a little louder and get his attention. You know, he starts making them, you know, and so at this point they're starting to get frantic. They start literally cutting themselves and bleeding, trying to get a hold to a God that don't exist. And then it finally gets to a point where Elijah says, all right, enough's enough. Enough's enough. It's my turn. And so what's he do? He steps out. And he looks and he says, all right, y'all come on. Y'all gather around. Come watch the big show. 
Come watch the big show because this is what's about to happen. And then when you read where he prays, you know, he, he don't, he's not getting irate. He's not frantic. He's not cutting himself. He's not screaming. It's just a simple prayer. God, you're God. God, you show up. God, show these people today who you are. And then what happened? God showed up in a big way, didn't he? He sent fire down from heaven. It not only got the bull, it got the wood, it got the rocks, it got the water that they had poured on it, it got the dust. God took everything so that they had no, no way they could explain anything besides God showed up. He didn't leave any room for doubt. Well, your God wasn't big enough to, to, to burn the rocks. Or your God wasn't big enough to get the water. So God took all doubt away from them. And then they worshiped. You know, so when you start looking, you know, God's a powerful God. God wants to use us. God wants to use us. You know, hear my heart. You know, when I stood in front of that class and shared this week, it wasn't about Johnny Morgan. It was about my God. And I wanted that classroom of students to hear that my God makes me happy. And it's not just happy in the moments, what I told them, you know. My, my, my happiness isn't based off that I had a good Diet Coke that morning or I had a good ride to Watson that morning. My happiness, my joy is based off what he done for me, you know, 30 years ago when he saved my life. You know, my happiness and my joy is what he does for me and what he's done for me. It's not based in a moment. It's not based in, in something that happened real quick. You know, when we look at our area, you know, and you start looking, I believe that we're the front line. You know, whenever I was just really reading and getting ready for today, I couldn't help but think of um, the Titanic. The Titanic was an unsinkable ship, right? Isn't that how they advertised it in the beginning? Unsinkable ship. And what happened? People got complacent. And people quit, lost their focus. And the ones that were supposed to be watching that night fell asleep and wasn't alert and whenever they come to it was too late they couldn't turn that ship quick enough because of the size so they hit that iceberg that was out in front of them and what happened because of their complacency and their 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 lack hundreds of people died that night our watch is to watch and see what's happening out there our watch is to love god enough that we want these people these people to see what he can do and to fall in love with him you know so it's time you know that I, I want you know it's time what's it time for it's time for us to pray fervently you know to pray fiercely as a nation we need to pray for our nation we need to spend time with God every day praying for God to protect us praying for our families praying for our friends praying for the people we're going to encounter praying for the people that we'll never meet you know just you know, in the last week, there was a group of 40 of us that went to Puerto Rico six years ago. And I'll be honest, it was a miserable trip. It, I've never slept that at the end of the week I woke up and there was a salt outline of my body because I sweated so hard when I was sleeping. It was a miserable trip as far as that, but we was building houses. And those 40 people, I bet I've had 25 of them contact me. We need to go back. We need to go back because we bet those houses that we built aren't standing no more. You know? And so when you start looking, we need to pray fervently. We need to pray fiercely for the people around us. We need to pray that God, that they see God out there. Because that's what's going to change things. 
What would have stopped that shooting last week was if that guy would have seen God. And if he'd have seen something different. You know, what would have stopped the five shootings in Baton Rouge this week was if Baton Rouge, if we would claim Baton Rouge and say, we're not going to let this happen. We're going to pray that people see God. We're going to pray that their lives are changed because that's the only thing that's going to change this world is our God. But we have to be the watchmen. We have to be the ones that are praying, that are spending times on our knees because we believe in it. You know, we have to take a united stand against evil. We have to, to take a stand for that. You know, there's evil out in that world. There's a devil that is alive and well, and he wants nothing more than to destroy families and to destroy this community and destroy these schools. But we have to take a stand. We have to pray, and we have to take a stand against that, you know. It's time, you know, when you start looking. We have to stand for our godly principles. We can't compromise. We can't second guess. God's called us to a higher calling. He's called us. There's a certain way that, that he's calling us to live. There's a certain way that he's calling us to exist. And we need to not compromise from that. We can't sit back and say, well, it's going to be okay. You know, well, next time. Because there's people my age right now that's in prison or that's not here because we didn't take a stand. And I'm just being real. It's time for us to take a stand. It's time for us to, to, you know, we have to choose to unite, you know. Why are things happening right now? Why are we seeing things happening in student ministry in this area that we hadn't seen in years? It's because the ministries in this area are taking a stand. You know, me and Nathan and Doug and Luke and, and Mike, we pray together. We pray together. When we walk into schools together, the kids don't see a competition. They don't see us walking in trying to recruit. They see five men of God walking in that want to make a difference. And because of that, we're maxing out our Bible studies and are growing every week in Denham and Live Oak. But it's because we chose to unite. You know, um, I've been here 13 and a half years. And I can tell you, for the first few years, it was Live Oak Baptist Church in the schools, and that was it. But in a, since in the last three years, you've got the other guys, Nathan, Luke, Nathan, and Doug, and Mike, you know, that's been at their churches, and they've all got two to three years service in their churches. And because we chose to unite, because we chose to, to do it, you know, um, we must become men and women of God in this hour. We don't need to say, well, you know, tomorrow morning I'm going to start praying. We need to start now. We need to start now praying. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Don't, you know, we need to, we need to start praying now. We need people to be on our prayer chain, right, Mr. Arnell? We have an awesome opportunity to know what's going on within our own church. All you have to do is send a text, and you'll start getting a text message. You know, well, you can start praying for people in our church. You know, this week, I think I spent more time visiting the hospitals than I did anything else. And I loved it. I loved being there to hang out and do that. But we need people praying for all that. So in your bulletin, this is a commercial. Text that number, and you'll start getting our prayer request. Because prayer is important, you know. We need, we need to see God in worship. You know, we shouldn't be, when we come in here to worship in the mornings, it should be exciting. It should be a celebration. It'd be saying, God, I want to praise you for what you did for me this past week. God, I want to celebrate what you're going to do next week for me. God, I want to praise you. I want to lift this roof in my worship to you. I want to lift this roof in excitement for what I hear coming out of your word today. I want to lift this roof 
whenever it comes time to put my tithes and offerings in a plate. I want to lift this roof whenever it comes time for discipleship. We should be excited about worship. We should be excited about praising Him. We should be excited about our time in the Word. That's how we're going to make a difference. But we have to be at the point where we're going to say, it's time. It's time for me to take a stand. It's time for me to do this. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Is it messy? Absolutely, it's messy. This past week, um, Thursday, I, yeah, Thursday, I went to the doctor. No secret, I have diabetes. And I'm working with a nurse practitioner to try to get things better. And so I've been seeing her. This, this was my third time to see her. And so we've been moving medicines around, and I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. And so whenever they looked, they said, you've been taking this medicine too long, way too long. Been on it for 20 years. Nobody told me. The doctor says, take this, I take that. They're the experts. So they started reducing this medicine and increasing this medicine. And so we, 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 we're getting a good plane. You know, my cholesterol's real low and my sugar's getting lower, but it's still it's not where it needs to be. And so whenever I was sitting there and, and, and Aaron, the, the nurse practitioner, was, was talking and we was looking at different options, she said, all right, I can give you this medicine, but it's a shot. Do you mind taking a shot? I said, I take a shot in the morning, I take a shot in the evenings, I prick my finger in the morning, what's one more needle? You know, what's one more time? And she said, well, you got a different attitude than everybody else. I said, well, it's, it's all in the cost of living, you know. And she said, well, this one's only once a week. But she said, I'm going to tell you up front, when you take this shot, it's going to make you sick the first two or three weeks. Like, you're going to be nauseated, you're going to be miserable the first two or three times you take it. And so she said, and she said, but there's other options, but this is the best option. I said, well, then that's what I want to do. You know, that's what I want to do. And I said, you're the doctor. You tell me what I need to do to better my body, and I'm going to do that. I said, now, I can tell you about this God that I love and serve, and I talked to him all day about it. I don't have a doctorate in it, but I can talk to you about it, you know? And I said, just like you can talk medicine. And so we sat there, and we had church for a few minutes. You know, we talked about God. And so, you know, so this Wednesday, I'm going to start taking that shot. Am I excited about it? No, I'm not excited about it. But is it going to make me better? Hopefully. You know, is it going to make my sugar level come down? Hopefully. And so is it inconvenience? And why do I tell you that? Because it's just like serving God. Is it always easy? No. Are you going to do things that you don't want to do? Absolutely. You know, are you going to have to, 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 some of us, we have to literally sit down and put it on our calendar, All right, God, I'm giving you the first 45 minutes of the day. And some of you are thinking, I'm not a morning person, so I'm going to give him the last 45 minutes of the day. You know, there was a time in my life whenever I did lunchtime every day. I went and got by myself every day for an hour at lunch because that was the best time of day for me. But what you have to do is you have to make God a priority. You have to say, all right, God, it's time. It's time for me to make you a priority. God, it's time for me because I want to make a difference, not for Johnny Morgan. I want to make a difference out there for you. I want this world out there to be a different place. I want my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids to grow up in something different and not steadily getting worse. I don't want them to read where, where this week was that one thing where I read where there was five shootings in two hours. There's going to be a day if things don't change, it's going to be five shootings in two hours every day. There's going to be church shootings every Sunday. There's going to be killings every day. But we have to be the ones to own it. We have to be the ones that pray fiercely for our God to change things. 
You know, we have to be Elijah. We have to, if we're the only man or woman standing in that workplace or where we're at and say, God, I'm praying for you to show up big here today. God, I'm showing, I'm praying that you show up and people can't help but say that there's a God that loves us. And there's a God that's out there for us. You know, I had another opportunity as I was sharing with one of the students. We're what, 14 months out from the flood? Still not back in our house. Friday a week ago, we did a fifth quarter at Live Oak High School. She won a beanbag and started crying because that's the first piece of furniture she's going to have to put back in her house. A beanbag. We got beanbags thrown down in the Sunday school classroom over here. You know, broke my heart because we take so much for granted. And she's happy because she gets it. Because she loves God. And she knows God has a purpose for her. Even though she might not understand why she's out of her house 14 months and they're just getting it back together. But she don't dwell on that. But here she won a $20 beanbag that we give away at a fifth quarter. And she's excited. When's the last time we got excited about God? When's the last time that we've got excited? And sorry, God, it's time. I'm excited. God, I'm yours. I'm going to sell out and live this way the rest of my life for you. No matter the cost. Hear what I'm saying? No matter the cost, I'm going to live for you. It's time.